Or have you ever been in a sticky situation where you thought you just had no hope? Some of you might have heard this story, but a few years ago, three friends and I decided um, we'd go on a kind of a bloke's weekend away. We'd go down to the south coast of New South Wales where there's some nice beaches. And just our wives were off at a women's, a women's convention, or those of us who were married. And so we headed down there and we're walking along this beach, at a beach called Kayama, um, and there's this great surf. Now, I'm not really a surfer. Um, I don't love surfing. I don't really love swimming, so I'm kind of not brilliant in the water, but these, these waves were just breaking the whole way across the beach. And they would have been like 10 foot waves. They would have probably been to the roof like, when they were kind of coming through. They were huge. And I was like, that is fantastic. And I, I remembered that when we were staying in this caravan, there was this little boogie board in the, in the caravan one of the beds. was this little polystyrene board with no arm strap. And I'm like, that would be great. There were all these like pro surfers out there surfing. I'm like, it's got to be safe. There's people out there. So the guys I was with went, no, I'm not going. I was like, there's no way I'm giving up this opportunity. Just catch a, a wave all the way along this beach. Just, yeah. So out I go, I swim in there. Finally, I kind of find myself in a bit of trouble because there's quite a strong rip. And I'm, I'm trying to kind of get to where the waves are breaking and I realise the waves are bigger than what I thought. And so I kind of, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to catch one wave in and that's it, I'm, I'm done. So I kind of try and get there and I'm just not moving, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. And then I kind of turn around and this massive wave comes, picks me up, smashes me down in the water. I didn't know what wave was up. I had no, I was kind of doing six or seven somersaults, kind of paddling to get to the top of the surface. I came up, took a breath as another wave kind of came and it was pretty bad. My board had gone and kind of washed in. And here I was in large surf, uh, without a wetsuit, it was kind of cold, um, without a board, in, in a rip, going, what do I do? All I could think about at that moment was that disaster was on the cards. For me, I'm like, this could be it. As we read this part of God's Word in Micah, that's how Israel are feeling. Like, disaster is on the cards. Now, the more time goes on, we, kind of, we start off in Genesis, Adam and Eve, everything's going really well. So Adam and Eve kind of rebel against God, they get kicked out of the garden, and then go through this cycle that we saw as we went through Genesis of sin and rebellion and judgment and that mankind gets worse and worse and worse and then they kind of go through this period um, where they go out in the desert and then they move into um, kind of God's promised land they get a king, finally a good king, David David leads them, Solomon comes along all the nations of the world are flocking to Solomon it's a high point for God's people good stuff's kind of happening but then the kings kind of get worse, the leaders go on and what we get to is about um, 750 AD sorry, BC before Christ and what these guys are seeing out here is the time when Israel has just gone to the dogs. God's people have just walked away from him. So I'm going to click back. If you've got your Bibles open to Micah, um, I'll have it on the screen anyway. Um, Micah chapter 2, 1 to 3 says this. Have a listen to the way God's people are. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud a man of his home, a fellow man of his inheritance. Therefore, says the Lord, I'm planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. It's pretty grim, right? God's people have decayed to the point where God himself is planning disaster against them. They've turned their backs on God, forgotten his how God brought them out of Egypt, how he saved them. The amazing acts that God has done throughout history. 
And they've instead turned to following false gods. In fact, they've gone so far that God says in verse 10 that they've ruined their resting place. The promised land is ruined beyond all readings. When you want nothing to do with God, that's what He gives you. See, God's people have gone, oh, I want nothing to do with you anymore. Oh, you're trying to be done some great stuff, but I just want to forget about you. And when you forget about the good God, God says, okay, I will have nothing to do with you. I won't give you the goodness that is mine. I won't shower you with the blessings. I won't look after you. If you want life without me, then I'll show you what life without me is like. No protection from mankind's evilness, from the way we naturally are. And that's what you see in this life, isn't it? The more people reject God, can look good for a while, but the more we walk away from Him, the messier our lives get. The harder they get. The more we reject the way God wants us to live, in the end, the more pain we experience. Maybe not immediately, but eventually. So Micah goes on to show it's not just the people of Israel that have lost the plot though. It's even their leaders. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 9. Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, that's part of Israel, you rulers of the house of Israel who despise justice and distort all that is right, and again, their leaders judge for a bribe. Their priests teach for a price. Their prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Israel's leaders, their prophets, the people who are supposed to be God's mouthpiece to lead them, are turning God's word into a way to make money. Here they are telling people's fortunes for money. That makes me so angry. When I hear of people who are supposed to be speaking of God's truth, the truth that saves, the truth that gives life, manipulating that truth for their own purpose. And sometimes, I think we see that today in the world around us, people kind of saying all sorts of stuff, there's no God. You get the leaders of our world saying, okay, just live, have a life that's full, enjoy life and then die. It's deceptively awful the outcome of that. Or you get leaders of the church. I don't know if you've heard of people say to you, if you come to Jesus and your life will be better. If you come to Jesus, if you give us all your money, then you'll be blessed by God. You'll get a new Porsche. You'll get bigger houses. The more you give, the more God will give you. Or whether it's that, I've I've come, there's this new thing, this new way, and and it kind of pulls people away from the Jesus of the Bible. God's word is not on these prophets' lips, but their own desires, their own intentions. What I'm trying to show is that we're in a situation today not too far away from God's people at this time in life. Both the people of Israel and their leaders have turned away from God, and He's not happy. We're in a situation just like I was in the cell. We're about to be smashed. Disaster is on the cards for God's people. So Micah, speaking on God's behalf in verse 12, says this, Therefore, because of you, Zion, that's Jerusalem, because of you, Zion will be ploughed like a field. Jerusalem will become like a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound, overgrown with thickets. To kind of contextualise, here's a video that gives you an idea of how this would have felt. 
that's not what all Australians think of New Zealand. That was a, a kind of a, an ad do-up they had uh, on, on the ABC in Australia. But imagine that was real. Imagine all the defence forces of New Zealand were taken away and someone else, some other nation, just went, we're going to plunder you guys. We're going to wipe out New Zealand. It wouldn't just be like, you know, a few buildings in the industrial area of Auckland get knocked down. They're talking about taking out the Sky Tower, taking out the temple where God dwelt, right? But for Israel, this was huge. And another nation would come in and be amongst them. We can laugh at Australia kind of overtaking New Zealand, but well, I can't. I don't know if you guys do. Um, it's, it's a joke, I don't really think that. But imagine if it was real. Imagine if the, the language that was spoken was a language that was totally foreign to you, that you didn't understand at all, because a nation had come in and had overtaken you. Imagine being in a position of God's people who, who had kind of ignored him and gone, oh yeah, whatever, but then wiped out. Can you imagine how Israel would have felt? This is huge for God's people. It's huge. Because Israel and their leaders have continually turned their backs on God. Disaster is on the cards for God's people. That's what they're being told. Well, that's the bad news that we get in this passage. kind of sets the scene. You're like, whoa, it's a bit dark for Christmas, Rowan. What, what are you kind of telling us all this for? I want to tell you this because it's partly that the situation we're in as to who we are. As we live our lives and rebellion against God. Without God... That's what we're looking at. Um, destruction. But at the same time, in this passage, there is hope promised. There's a hope that comes through. Um, well, the consequences of their actions are massively catastrophic, God does promise them. He promises that there will be a day when He once again gathers His people. Have a look at Micah 4, 6 and 7. It's up on the screen. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the land. I will assemble the exiles and those who I have brought into grief. I will make the lame a remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. And again in chapter 5 verse 4, And he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. Do you kind of feel a relaxing feeling when you hear that? If you put yourself in the shoes of God's people? That there is a hope coming. I mean, what a promise. God will bring his people back together again, but this time it will be very different. They won't have dodgy leaders anymore, but God himself will rule them. And it won't be just for a while kind of until they turn their back on him and they get booted out of the land again. God will rule him forever with one perfect and true leader. When I was a kid, I was never any good at spelling. In fact, if you know me, I'm never any good at spelling now either. I kind of continually right-click the red line as I type things and what are correct works. Uh, when I was in about fifth or sixth class, we used to have spelling tests. I don't know if you guys had them. Um, but... I heard of a promise when I was in fifth and sixth class that was too good to refuse. See, my grandmother had heard that I really didn't like spelling. I didn't care. I was kind of like of the attitude that if you know what the word was, if you can recognise that I spelt it wrong, then I've communicated what the word was and you should just get over it, right? Because you knew how to spell it properly and that's, you should just move on. It's about communication, not getting everything right. Um, so, but then my man said to me, if you get 100% in a spelling test, I'll give you $100. Now, I was like, 
man, that's an offer too good to refuse. So I kind of went, oh, and now there's some, you know, purpose to this. I can actually, I should try. So over a couple of months, I kind of started learning my spelling a bit better and a bit better. I was getting up around 98%. And then finally I cracked it. I got that 100% mark, rang my name when I got home. Got 100% in a test today. She was kind of like, oh, I don't think you weren't. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you that I, it was finally worth it. All that time kind of going through, that promise kept me going until the end. Problem is, after I got that hundred dollars, I was like, great, I've done it now. So I just went back to bad spelling, and here I am today. But here, these people have a promise that captivates to the end. It's not immediately hundred dollars that they're waiting for, but freedom from their enemies. Like I want us to feel this. Israel are about to get smashed. They're about to be taken out and, and taken to Assyria, and then a couple hundred years later, taken to Babylon and spread all over the kingdom. There, Israel, as they know it, is about to not exist anymore. You're like saying New Zealand, as you know it, is going to be gone. Yet there's this hope, this promise. The day when a perfect ruler comes. Micah describes what it will be like as they wait for the ruler in this time of kind of breathing. He talks about a, a woman in agony. Ride in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labour. For now you must leave the city and camp in the open field. Can you imagine how much you'd be looking forward to this promise? To God finally bringing his people back to himself? This lasted for the next six, seven hundred years. This kind of being pushed around. The promised ruler who would come would rule them in peace forever. That security, that hope, is what kept them going. So you're probably wondering what happened in the surf that day, right? Um, I'm stuck there, the waves, I really had three options. I, I, I could have just tried to swim in, um, but I just I couldn't part the rip. I was like, that's a bad idea. I could have just gone out and around um, to the next beach and see where the rip took me. Um, but it was really cold, I didn't have a wetsuit, I, I wasn't sure the best way to go. Um, or I could have swum to some rocks that were nearby. The problem with the rocks was the waves probably picking me up and smashing me down. The only real option I had was to cry out for help to these board riders that were out there. And kind of, so that's what I did. I'm kind of yelling out, you know, guys! Anyway, so finally this guy comes over and he's like, we'll go get your board. So they went in, came back with my board, finally saved me and gave me my board. And at that point, this, this guy gives me my board and was like, there you go. And I couldn't scream anymore. I was just too tired. So I'm like, can you tow me in? The embarrassing thing was, it was like a 12-year-old kid. And I was married, 24-year-old at, at that point. And um, it was just, we had flippers, I want to say. So I didn't have any flippers at all. But here I was. The only way I could get out was to cry for help. It was for an unlikely saviour. Now put yourself in Israel's shoes. What sort of saviour would you be expecting to save you from, from where these, these nations are coming in? If it were me, I'd be thinking, you know, a great king, a mighty warrior, some king that would come and wipe out all the other nations. You know, it would be like army on steroids, that type of thing. Or, I don't know, some massive guy. I'm going to read a bit from Matthew chapter 2, where we start to see this world. Have a look. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? 
We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where the Christ was to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. If you want to know where the Saviour of the world is, Matthew quotes Micah. That passage that we quote at the end is straight from Micah. Straight from the, the verses that, um, that Lydia read for us. He's pointing out that Jesus is the promised ruler. Come to rescue the world once for all and shepherd God's people. There's, there's no mighty warrior, no great king, but a baby child who would save God's people in the most unexpected way. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Is he a myth? Is he a good moral leader, a great guy? Is he, is he a healer? Is he someone to follow? Or is he the ruler of the world? See, what Matthew is claiming is, is phenomenal news. And I want us to sit and hear this for a moment. We kind of have heard it before. But Jesus is the one who comes and takes us out of the position where disaster is on the cards. Jesus didn't come to conquer political battles, to win mighty more wars against his enemies and kill everyone who opposed him. He came once and for all to bring God's people back into relationship with him. And he did it in the most unlikely way. He came and died in our place on a Roman cross. The most gruesome death possible as a public spectacle, innocent. Why? So we would not face the disaster that should be ours. I want us to sit for a moment here and just think through how amazing that is. Because we, like Israel, deserve God's judgment. We deserve to be wiped out. For so long in our natural state, we've turned our backs on God. We've said, look, I'm living your way. Yeah, you know, that's cool. That's cool for you. Or, or we've tried to live God's way and haven't done it perfectly. If, if we want justice, if we want what's fair, then God should rightly give us none of his goodness, remove himself from us totally, and let us leave us to our own devices. And we saw that partly in kind of Genesis, where mankind was only evil all the time. Where mankind rises up against one another. And if you think through history and you see the moments where humanity has done awful things, sure, we've had some great moments too, I'm not discounting those. But left to our own, it becomes about ourselves. And that's even what God is still upholding the world. Imagine if God stepped out. Jesus has come to rescue us from it. Jesus has come to save us. He's died in our place. He's, he's faced the punishment that we deserve. See, he never turned his back on God. He never did what we do. He has always lived the way he should. He died so we could be brought back into relationship with God forever. He died facing the anger of God that we deserve. 
Jesus died and brought the greatest hope to mankind has ever seen. Security. Peace with God. Forgiveness of sins. Is there anything better? I don't know what you put on your Christmas list this year. I don't know what things you put down that you would like. Often we're like, I don't need anything. That's what I think, right? What do I do? I need Jesus' forgiveness. Because without His forgiveness, disaster is on the cards. This Christmas, as you celebrate the birth of Jesus, remember that you do need Him. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus, if you here at this point haven't gone, yes, Jesus is my Saviour and my Lord, the one who, who my life depends on, then I want to encourage you this Christmas to think through who Jesus is and what he's done. To say to him, thank you. If there's still some more stuff that you want to check out, well, we'd love to chat with you through that stuff and talk through where you're at and questions you've got. We don't think you're going to just shut your eyes and it's all the evidence. We think the evidence points to how amazing Jesus is. But whatever you do this Christmas, don't think you don't need Jesus. Don't just write him off as someone who's on the sides. Recognize him as that saviour we need. And as you recognize who he is, give him your life. Serve him. Love him. As we as we think through starting publicly in, in kind of February and, and telling people about Jesus, while it feels small and insignificant. This is the news that will change people's forever. As attempted over Christmas dinners with people or you know, meals and family talk about stuff, as Jesus is pushed to the sides, speak of him. Speak of the love he has shown us. Speak boldly because he has brought us from death to life. He's offered us eternity. If you haven't trusted Jesus yet, I want to leave you today. Come and check out the Saviour of the world. Father God, we thank you so much for the promise of Jesus. We thank you that he came and died when really we should. We thank you that he has faced the penalty that we deserve and that he offers us hope, salvation, life forever, forgiveness of sins. Father, we ask that this Christmas that we won't push him to the side, that we won't kind of go... You're kind of important. But we'll speak lovingly and boldly in a way that's helpful to the world around us so that they may see the hope they need. True life that lasts forever. The Lord, convict us of our need today. And let us be grateful that us who were once lost, if we trust in your Son, have been found. We who are without hope can now have hope. That you have released the chains on us and set us free from that oppression and disaster that we deserve, that we have asked for, and you promised us life. Lord, let us feel that today. Let us feel that this year coming, and let us share that with all of us. Amen.